0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Carrie Johnson. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today we're at Forrester's CX Forum San Francisco, and we're joined by one of our speakers, Rachel Kobetz, Head of Experience Design at Bank of America. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for having me. So maybe you could just give a little background to the listener about your previous work experience and your role at Bank of America today.
1: Sure. Um, My background stems from both R&D and innovation labs and also product and service organizations. I was at Samsung and then Amazon and then joined the bank going on two years this October, the end of this month. Mm -hmm. Um, At the bank, I lead the experience design organization across physical and digital, which is Bank of America and Merrill. So it's the full wealth continuum.
2: One of the things that I find interesting about this role is that it's based in San Francisco and the bank is, of course, not based in San Francisco. How does that work? Right. Not being close to the mothership. Is that a Pro or a con? I mean, we see companies have been struggling with this for the last 20 years in innovation. And I'm just curious um, if you know some of the thinking behind having folks like you based out here,
1: right? Um, technically, it did start in San Francisco. If we go to the roots of the company, Bank of America, back, back, back at the day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so HQ now is in Charlotte, obviously, mm-hmm. right? But the company realizes that to get the best talent and to get diversity um, of thought, of people, of backgrounds, experience, you're going to need to hire the best, and the best can be all over the world, right? And so the company has always been looking for the best, best in class people from everywhere. And so um, Silicon Valley is no stranger to being, you know, best in class for talent, for digital, Mm -hmm. for design, for research. Um, So it kind of was a no brainer for them to be able to be open to that. Um, And the way that we operate is I have four hub cities, four hub studios. So New York, Boston, Charlotte, and San Francisco. And what about
0: your personal journey, moving from the likes of Amazon to a more traditional firm of Bank of America? I think it's an interesting path, right? So what drew you to financial services and maybe Bank of America specifically?
1: Sure. Um, I've always been one of those people who loves to solve gnarly challenges. Hmm. So no matter what environment I'm in, that's what I'm going after, because that's what keeps me engaged, keeps me energized, and helps with growth, right? I'm constantly wanting to learn. Um, And for me, there are certain industries right now that are either ripe for disruption, ripe for innovation, or really just figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, those are, you know, financial services, healthcare, spatial computing, and AI. And so in those environments, you are either part of that or you hear about it later. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously when the bank called me, I was like, well, that sounds interesting. Right. So... That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And
0: so, thinking about innovation and human centric design, how are you how are you seeing those two things come together and play out today, just broadly in the market?
1: Yeah, I definitely think that um, HCD methodology is you know intrinsic to innovation. I spoke a little bit about this earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you cannot have true innovation without it because you're leaving out. If you think of all the three lenses. Uh, business tech and people or, you know, the human aspect, you're leaving it out if you don't have human-centered design. So I'm a big proponent of bringing that to the center of everything that we do. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm also evangelizing that to everyone else to not just be tech-led, but to actually understand the people that you're creating something for and really understanding what they need, what they want, what their desires are, um, even the things they don't tell you, Mm -hmm. um, so that you can actually innovate on their behalf.
2: Today, in your speech, you talked about design research versus market research Mm -hmm. on that point about sort of understanding uh, people. Obviously, as a company that does research ourselves, that was really intriguing to me. So a little selfishly, I'd love to have you explain a little bit more about what you meant and go a little deeper there. That'd be really helpful.
1: Sure. Um, If we're trying to look at the difference um, between, there's obviously similarities between the two, right? You have, you know, they are based in humanities. They are trying to understand, right? But there's this point at which they deviate, where um, design research is really going for these unmet needs and going to deeply understand customer behavior, getting to the why behind something, versus I feel like you know market research definitely takes the angle of a broad stroke and trying to make sure they understand what people want Um, and what they're willing to purchase, what they're willing to pay for. Um, And you need that too. Um, But I think that without that element of design research, you don't get underneath what people are saying to actually their behavior. Mm. And so so that's going deeper, Yeah, really going for the why. And I think that um, businesses need both. You know, they both. And I I find that for me and I, you know, even at the bank, we have a huge partnership with marketing research because we need to be symbiotic. Right. Mm -hmm. We need to work together um, because we're we're like two sides of a coin, if you really think about it. Um, And we and together we're actually more powerful. So while I will discuss that there is a difference between them, I see them as a partnership, a true partnership.
0: And maybe you can talk about your thoughts about... who your partners are within an organization to bring a new experience to bear, right? So obviously a partnership with marketing around the market research component, mm-hmm. but when you're innovating, what does it take? Who are your partners within an organization to actually make that happen?
2: Oh, wow. And actually, if I could pile on top of that question, you made a point in the speech about actually having innovation teams generally not Sit within the business. Tell me if I've interpreted this wrong, but have dedicated innovation teams, small teams, people who are very passionate about something. So, combining with Jen's question is how do you then form partnerships once that starts to grow a little bit bigger?
1: I love how you just made that that more complex than the first question. Even though the first question let's was go at it hard, like baby. To I mean, answer. big complex questions. Okay, got it. So, um, on that note, definitely need your own innovation team, a team that's dedicated 100%, but I don't believe that they should be off on their own in a silo working in like a bubble. Mm -hmm. I think they do need to be deeply embedded into the company And into the business to actually understand the strategy of the business i think that's the best partnership you can possibly have now for h3 like horizon 3 stuff you can veer out a little bit further because those are the type of things where you need to be a little bit further away from the mothership right right? but you still need to understand what the strategy is
2: just to just to define h3 i guess it'd be something like what people would think of as a moonshot innovation truly truly transformational
1: yep super disruptive um, outside of your normal business Um, usually those are either spin out or spin in right? Um, but for your question about like how you actually, what are the partnerships that are required? Mm-hmm. It's all the people, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to bring in you know, every, everyone from analytics and data science, you're bringing in marketing, you're bringing in you know, customer care and contact centers, you're bringing in digital product, line of business, every, you know, everyone. Yeah. Because in order to truly innovate, you need all of those voices at the table and you all need to be aligned on what is the problem we're really trying to solve mm. before you go after it.
2: Well, that feels hard. It's very
1: hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think a lot of the work that I do is, I sometimes liken myself to an iceberg because a lot of the work that I actually do is so much under the water that no one sees, Mm -hmm. but it's all required to make the top work.
0: So how do you go about socializing that work that you're doing, right? Because you you do want people to know and rally around the innovation and the work that you're doing.
1: So what does that look like? Yeah, never underestimate the power of storytelling. Right. Yep. So um, within our group, uh, it's a skill set that we teach, that we um, encourage, and that we hire for. Uh, we want people that are good uh, storytellers mm-hmm. that can that can definitely um, help people understand a narrative, rally them around a vision, get them excited about it, but showcase the rigor and depth of thought behind it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but stories become personal; they become emotive, and that gets people energized. Um, So that's one of the ways, that's one of the tools that we use is storytelling Mm -hmm. and narrative. Um, We're definitely big proponents of any type of communication vehicle possible. Uh, We also believe in artifacts. Like there's a lot of things that you can create as an experience design organization that tell your story when you're not even there. And so anytime we can figure out what artifacts during part of our process, uh, how do we expose um, our, and, and our practice to others so that it doesn't feel like a, bra- a black box? How right. can we bring them in? That's also another important piece. And so, you know, by including them in the process, by, you know, making sure we communicate out all the time, almost over communication, mm-hmm. and then by making sure we bring through stories, um, I feel like that's the that's the way to socialize.
2: Can you bring artifacts to life in terms of examples and what you mean by that? Things on the walls?
1: We've taken um, the work that we do that is normally in our heads and in our computers and extrapolated that out and externalized that. So the work that we do is out on the walls, literally. Mm. And so you can walk the wall with stakeholders and partners. You can bring them into your thinking. Um, That's one way we do it. The other way is that um, you know, in an environment where they are heavy on presentations and decks, Um, we find that that's another way to tell the story when you're not there. Even, you know, videos with Mm -hmm. voiceovers we've even used. As far as artifacts go, even as part of your process, everything from the customer journey or the service blueprint or illustrating a really complex problem or a complex ecosystem in a simple way and then actually pushing that out and sharing that with others simplifies something that you're a problem that you're dealing with and they can really like come into the fold and understand the problem you're trying to solve.
0: And probably relate to it much better than in the absence of of that artifact, right? Yeah,
1: and not everybody can attend every meeting, right? Mm -hmm. We're all very busy. Not everybody can keep up and try to get inbox zero. So a lot of times if you put these hefty decks and these, these hefty presentations out there, they don't get digested the way you want them to. So you have to figure out new mechanisms, new um, ways to get the story out and new artifacts to use. Um, so that's why we we work with any material that we find is viable. Um, and sometimes it's a two minute snapshot. Sometimes it's a conversation in a hallway, literally, um, to be able to get that story out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the trick is make sure you're consistent in your message. And you mentioned you have four hubs.
2: Mm-hmm. So how do
1: you get them consistent in multiple places? So we've codified our practice, and so we have an approach that we are making sure that is pervasive throughout all of XD. We are actually in the process of going through training sessions right now where we are teaching that same practice across the board to all the studios. Once we do that, then we're actually going to teach it to our partners starting with digital product, then line of business and like getting executives in the room and teaching them our practice. We want everyone in the entire company to understand how we work so that they can be part of it. Right. Um, The other piece is. From a communication standpoint, understanding what we stand for and and what our values are, what our mission and vision is, and being rallied around that all facing the same direction. Once we then have those talking points, we can then socialize that and always be consistent.
0: So in this model that you're describing, that is not a siloed model, meaning that innovation's not happening and in this other place, and you're attempting to then bring it into the mothership, right, if I'm understanding correctly. Are you then sort of um, able to have Your partners take hold, take this on, and and accepting the innovations or new ways of working or new ways of delivering experiences far better than if it was like this siloed thing and then you're trying to bring it into the mothership. Does
1: that question make sense? It does. Um, It's most definitely embedded into the fabric of the organization. And so when we are, you know, even thinking about like the front end of the funnel, when we're thinking about like generating new ideas, Mm -hmm. you know. Digital strategy team is sitting with XD. We're sitting with our technologists. We're sitting with line of business. We're understanding the business needs and understanding what their opportunity areas are. So they're all involved in this process from day one. Uh, Legal risk and compliance are involved in our process even because we need to understand where the rails are. Right. So it's not down the road. We're figuring these things out.
0: Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we have this concept like privacy by design or security by design, but that sounds like, you know, as long as they're up there at the front end of the the process, you're not dealing with uh, an oopsie moment at the the back end of the process, right?
1: Agreed. And I think it also, um, as designers, it's the right conversation to have mm. at the very beginning. I think it's the right conversation, right questions to be asking at the very beginning um, instead of down the road where it feels like an edge case because it's not truly an edge case.
0: Right. What are the challenges, though, that like that you're dealing with day to day? Uh, It's a broad question, but I think it's important to surface like obviously there are a lot of pros in this model. But what are some of the roadblocks of operating in this model?
1: Besides of my heavy dose of impatience at all, you know, (laughs) um, I always like to go much faster. Um, But I think it's interesting, like sometimes I find that the things you thought were going to be super fast take forever. Mm. And the things that you thought were going to be an uphill battle, and you were going to be pushing that boulder up the hill, happen like overnight. And when that happens, that's a delighter, right? right. But then it's those other things where you're like, "Why is this taking so long?" Right? Those can sometimes be the things where you have to push through that grit, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, be more resilient. And so that's the thing I found is when you have a vision for what is essentially massive change and and you know transformation of a company because you can't have design transformation or digital transformation without having culture change right so for me you literally are when you're changing the culture it takes time and so you have to you know you're going to be at it for a while and so for me that's the hardest part the hardest part is understanding that change doesn't happen overnight um, you'll start to see the signposts, though of success like you you start to see these things start to happen mm-hmm. where you know you're heading the right direction and the change is manifesting in a way and sometimes it takes a life of its own that is actually you know catches fire in a way you didn't expect which is beautiful
2: mm-hmm. I think if you look at the last 10 to 15 years there's these clear moments in financial services where especially banking right where innovation happened um, remote deposit capture there's been these you know, key kind of milestones and people are pretty far over this hump from an adoption perspective of shifting many transactions online or to mobile. I think that's fair, right? Mm -hmm. What's next? Because it does seem like right now, like our research actually shows us that a lot of the digital experiences are looking pretty similar. I'm guessing there's a lot happening under the bottom of the iceberg there that we don't see, but mm-hmm. what are you what are you thinking about? It doesn't have to be what Bank of America is actually working on per se, but just what are you seeing when it comes to consumers uh, or customers and what they're willing to do in the future that we're not even sort of thinking about necessarily now.
1: Oh, this is a fun one. So from my perspective, um, right now, customer behavior, it's it's evolved, right? It's evolved over the last four to five years, pretty rapidly, mm-hmm. from where it was. Mm-hmm. Definitely a huge digital uptick, right? But at the same time, there still is like you know we believe in physical and digital, right? You know, we at the bank we even say high tech, high touch because we believe in the coherence. The there needs to be uh, a symbiotic relationship between those things, and they need to feel natural. Um, so we're constantly looking for ways to make it seamless. Right. How do you transition from digital to physical and back again and make it feel like you didn't hit the seams? Right. Right. So that's from the perspective, of like what's happening right now, mm-hmm. I think that's a huge thing that is ripe for innovation and ripe for a, a moment where people. Don't have to feel like if we're thinking about liquid expectations, they don't have to feel like their expectations for financial services and and healthcare and all these things is at a lower level than what they're experiencing and best in class across all industries, right? Well,
0: those expectations are not lower than right. Yeah,
1: right. So they're they're already having yeah. that expectation, but if we go like further to like where the the puck is going, mm-hmm. um, if we keep thinking that um, people are just going to come to us in general, like I think just in in financial services and other industries as a whole. The future is actually, we go to them, right? We, you know, I definitely am a big proponent of embedded banking, invisible mm-hmm. banking, and I think that is where the puck is going. And so there will be a day where you need to be able to um, manifest features and functionality in places that you didn't think you were going to have to because that's going to where the customer is. And that's embedding within their lifestyle in a way that feels seamless and invisible to them, but you're actually having their back 24-7.
0: Yeah, I think that your your point about the lifestyle thing was right where I was going to go because that feels very different, like an advocate on your behalf versus Mm -hmm. a transaction that you're making either on your mobile app or you know in person. So yeah. that's, that's got to be also a, a mind shift for any financial services organization,
1: question mark? It, it most definitely yeah. is. I mean, when you move away from transactions to a relationship, that's a huge shift, number one. And then when you move away from how things used to be where it was one to many. Mm. It felt like the same experience to your point earlier about like these experiences are starting to feel the same. It's because you get to almost like this critical mass of like this is best in class or like what the interaction model should be like, this is what the experience should feel like, what the flow should feel like for everyone. What happens when it's not for everyone? What Mm. happens when it's personalized just for you? What happens when those actionable insights are just in time, they're relevant, and they're personalized? That's the part, that's like the Holy Grail, right? That's where it becomes, it's one to one, not one to many. Mm. And that's the next stage I think uh, in financial services is because it moves away from just, oh, you just state the facts to actually giving me um, actionable insights in real time that are personalized to me. You actually know me, you're Mm -hmm. showing that you know me, so. I imagine there's a huge
2: utility component of that that's, and it's very useful. Mm-hmm. Right. is that We're seeing personalization go a bit awry. Yeah. You know, like, um, hey, this looks like it made sense in a in a room when people were drawing out a strategy. Yeah. And then it's just kind of creepy or too generic feeling or too overt feeling. But I think what you're describing is something that's more about I hate to use the word utility. It's actually not a negative, but more is like we're providing value and, and use for you in moments when you need us the most. And you actually may
1: not have even known it. Right, but we're just there. Exactly right. I can even give like an analogous experience when you're tracking your steps or using any kind of you know tracking method. Um, telling me that I walked ten thousand steps doesn't really tell me much unless I'm just like a numbers junkie, right? Yeah. But if you actually are tracking my sleep and you're tracking my steps and you know that I took a flight and I'm actually in a different country, you could give me actionable insight where you're like, you know what? You in the place you just arrived at. You're like going to be totally out of whack unless you stay up until the normal time to go to sleep. Just stay up a little bit later tonight. And then tomorrow morning, you're not going to have jet lag. That's an actionable insight based on the data instead of you just telling me, hey, you slept eight hours. You happen to sleep four hours on the plane. And by the way, you walked 5,000 steps today. What do I do with that? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a big difference. Mm-hmm. It's
2: kind of the old um, data versus insight.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: then the next step is action. Yeah. Which is what you've described is what do I do?
1: Yeah. And how do you invoke behavior change? How do you help people make, in, in the case of financial services, how do you help them make better financial decisions on a daily basis, mm-hmm. right? By giving them information, giving them insights, giving them actionable insights, right?
2: So one of the things that's talked a lot about in the current sort of platform economy is we know from data that consumer interactions tend to take place on a few platforms, right? Whether that's Facebook, I mean, on your phone or um, Amazon, as an example. And it may be the case that customers don't want 10,000 relationships because they've got a bank, they've got a retailer, but they would want a few and their bank is part of that platform. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on the strategy there
1: versus owning the entire end to end experience? That goes back to what I was saying about embedded banking. Mm-hmm. If you get to a world where there's invisible banking, you have to be on those platforms. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's where the customers are. Right. And if it needs to be, because not, you know, different customers choose different platforms. Right. And so you're not going to have one person that's like, I want all the platforms except for designers, because I know that I have all of them. Right? <laughs> right. But um, <laughs> Test all the things. research. Right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think for, for consumers that have made a choice in mm-hmm. their home or in their lifestyle of like, this is the brand that I'm going with, you need to be part of that to be able to be part of their lifestyle and to be in that embedded in their environment. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you're going to always be um, missing out on those interactions. Mm -hmm.
0: And so you feel like though the bank or whomever still has that relationship with the consumer, that the platform wouldn't be kind of quote unquote in the way of that, of building that relationship or that loyalty or relationship equity.
1: I think if it's done right, Mm -hmm. I think that if you have, a deep relationship between, you know, you and your customer. Yeah. I think that you can, you can mitigate the problem of feeling white labeled. I don't, th- mm-hmm. I don't think you have to worry about that where you're not just a commodity. Got it. Um, I do feel like though, if you don't handle that properly and you make your customers feel like a number, which is the exact opposite of what we do at the bank, mm-hmm. um, you want to have that relationship so that when you do become embedded in their environment, they still know it's you. Right. Um, and there's ways to do that. hmm there's tricks from a design standpoint mm. of like making sure whether that's visual or audio cues or, you know, acting on someone's behalf, like you let them know what you're doing, why you're doing it, giving them the context. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The transparency I think is right? yeah. huge. Totally. So Rachel on stage and in this conversation, you've talked a lot about innovation, human centered design. So what advice do you have for your peers or professionals who are focusing on innovation today?
1: I think that CXSF and events like this, that there should be more of them. Mm. I think there's not enough of this type of community Mm. um, that is out there. And so I applaud Forrester for creating events like this. Mm. Number one, Um, kudos to you guys for that. Um, I would also say that um, when we are all together, we can learn from each other. And so, this type of event is great for that, where you can have not just the sense of community. You can learn best practices for people from people, not just on stage, but also in breakouts. But you can also ask questions one on one, and then you make connections and create a network, so that after you go home, you still have people you can talk to and ask questions of. And I've already had people come up to me, you know, whether I've worked with them in the past today. Like I've seen people I've from old teams. I've right. met new new people today while I've been here and made a bunch of different connections in the short period of time in one day. So I I just encourage more people to um, contribute to this community because I think it's, it's going to be tremendous value going into the next five years, 10 years beyond. But I'm just mm-hmm. saying, more of this, please, because not enough of it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here, Rachel. Thanks for having me.
0: If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.